Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening to DIY Money. If you haven't already, be sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes so your friends know that they can learn from the show. Also, follow us everywhere on social at DIY Money Podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the video on YouTube. We've got some awesome bonus content there. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of DIY Money. DIY Money. That was good. Thank you. you did a good job I, was, on that one. I was bringing out my inner Quint today. I'm really... I got to bring up energy, all jazzed up. You are jazzed up. You don't even really drink coffee and you're jazzed up. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I just run on all natural, no caffeine. I'm halfway through a cup of coffee. I'm actually drinking it right now. Speaking of cup of coffee, I tried the uh, people listen to the previous podcast, which they also should always should uh, conquer Northwest. Oh yeah, coffee yeah. roasters. I saw that on uh, Instagram that you put that up. Yeah, it was like a like brutally cold weekend last weekend, mm-hmm. and it was like if there's anything that will help get through like 15 degree weather, it is some dark roast coffee out of the north. Do you West. like it? I liked it. Uh, I, I usually drink medium to light roast uh, in general, but given the conditions, it was like it just cut through the cold. Nice. If that makes sense. You don't drink coffee, so it doesn't make sense to you at all. It doesn't make any yeah, it was like lick of sense. But... Dark, chocolatey, nutty goodness. It's like chili when it's really cold outside. Yes. Like, I'm not going to eat chili in the summer. And not have chili in the summer. Although, isn't burgoo basically chili? Basically. But I don't, I'm not or a big soup. burgoo guy. Either. People eat that one. It's like Burgoo's 80 degrees in, in here in Kentucky. They eat burgoo. That's true. At Keeneland. Don't they? Yeah. It's like a Keeneland it's thing, weird. too, when it's sunny. Weird to and... eat like a hot bowl of anything. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> we. Wh- how did we get to burgoo? <laughs> We're talking about coffee. <laughs> coffee to burgoo. I don't know. Speaking of a hot bowl of anything, uh, today's question is going to be a hot bowl of lots of technical explanation, math, and wishing that we had a whiteboard and all that good stuff. I but... can't count the times on this show that I wish I had a whiteboard. <laughs> that's all right. Okay. Well, let's let's get to it. Let's listen to this question from Joe because we're going to have to go down a rabbit hole. DIY. Hi, DIY Money Crew. This is Joe from California. I have a question regarding the power of compounding. I often hear investment advice where they'd say, for example, $40,000 compounding at a 10% annual rate for 30 years would turn into almost $700,000. While that's true, I ask, where can I earn 10% interest on my money? They'll say, well, historically, the S&P's average annualized returns are around 10%. But my understanding is that annualized returns are not the same as an interest rate. So is my understanding correct? In other words, you cannot use average annual returns in fluctuating investments like stocks to illustrate the power of compounding. $40,000 compounding at 10% for 30 years at a theoretical bank is not equivalent to $40,000 invested in the S&P for 30 years at an average annual return of 10%. Am I right? All right, Daniel. What do you got? I'm going to let you kind of kick this what? off because this, yeah. Didn't you yeah. go to like Ivy League school? Yeah, UK. It's one of the most prestigious. Is there Ivy at UK? What? Ivy, like Ivy League school. Like I don't know what separates an Ivy League from a school. They have Ivy on Ivy on their buildings. I don't know. I don't know. We should Google that sometime. <laughs> no clue. But UK is beautiful school. Anyhow, uh, what's Joe? Joe. Joe. Uh, first of all, I want to know what bank Joe uses because he said yeah. like a 10%. Yeah. Yeah. He was being facetious, right? He was, he was definitely. talking about like, yeah. if you stick your money in a bank and the reason he was being facetious with that is because if you stick your money in a bank and you earn 
interest, there's theoretically no downside. Obviously, there's inflation, but really there's minimal to any downside of leaving your money in a savings account, for instance, where you're getting, getting yield. And, uh, one zero percent yield right now, maybe less. Zero. Uh, <laughs> some of the online banks, point five zero, I think, right now. Okay. It's so not bad. But there. even then, that's a well, that's actually a really good example because, uh, especially this week, uh, we're recording this actually on St. Patrick's Day, top of the morning to you. Yep. Daniel's um, got his green bracelet on. That is, I do. My son made me a green bracelet so I wouldn't cool. get pinched. Uh, he was very concerned. I guess that's something they do. I looked at my wardrobe this morning. We're totally off topic, but I have <laughs> nothing green. Like, I found, like, one green thing for my Green Bay Packers outfit, but that's it. I feel like so few people do. Anyhow. I'm here to claim me golden shillings, daddy me boy. Currently, uh, the bond market, really hot this week. As far as yields go, not so much prices. Uh, you can actually get a two-year government bond, which is effectively risk-free, right, um, for 2%. Um, so yeah, if you are, you know, hiding out at half a percent interest at an online bank or something like that, understand that, uh, if you do some research, there are some options there to go out and, and get yield. That's not necessarily super, super risky, but like Joe says in this particular question, there are anytime you get increased yield, you also get increased volatility. And I think that's kind of what he's alluding to. However, he's phrasing it as a question of average annual return versus, some other type of return that intelligent talking heads or investment people or something are telling him, you know, the historical annual returns of the stock market or something like that. So we're going to try to cut through this. It's going to be some technical jargon, but effectively what I think Joe is pointing out is the difference between an average annual return and a compound annual growth rate, which are not exactly the same because one is an average of percentages and one is a realized return on investment. That sounds like the exact same thing, but it is not the exact same thing. And the easiest way to illustrate that uh, is through a very simple illustration, wherein we start with $100, right? So you give me $100. Mm -hmm. uh, then I give you in your first year a 100% return on that. And you have now? $200. $200. That's awesome. Except the next year is really terrible. And you have a negative 50% return on that. So you have $200 uh, starting that year. You have a negative 50% return. Back you to now 100. have $100. What was your realized growth from the initial $100? Zero. Zero. You started with $100. You went up to $200. You went down to $100. You had zero realized growth. So your compound annual growth rate over that particular two-year period was? Zero. Zero. So compound annual growth rate is effectively... Uh, the realized return that you had on your investment. Now, within that two years, there was two returns that we can get the average of, right? Mm -hmm. So the first year, your investment went from $100 to $200. The um, return that year was? 100%. 100%. The next year, it went from $100 back, or $200 back to $100. The return that year was? Negative 50%. Negative 50%. Okay, four. class. What? I feel like I'm in class. This is, yeah. <laughs> Professor, take it easy, will you? Nobody else to call on. <laughs> You're out of luck. Oh, I didn't know you wanted to get involved with the discussion, Mr. Helfer. Uh, okay, so first year we had 100% return. People who don't like math are going to hate this episode. 100% return the first year, okay? We have to add to that the next return. Uh, we're keeping it simple. We're only looking at two years. We add to that the next one. 
right? We're, what we're trying to do is get the average here. So 100% return, we add negative 50. When you add a negative, you're just subtracting. subtracting. So 100% minus that 50% is? 50%. 50% return. Now, we had two instances or two years to average that out by. So 50% divided by two is? 25%. 25%. So the average of our returns, because we had a 100% return and then a negative 50% return, the average of those two is positive 25%. The realized return was zero. So yes, if you look back historically and you just average out percentages of volatile things, the average of those percentages will differ from the realized uh, rate of return. And the reason for that is really simple because distribution of returns matters and there's volatility and all of that. Am I losing you yet? No, I, I think it makes sense. What would you add to that so far before we go further down our rabbit hole? I mean, yeah, in the short term, th that makes a lot of sense. I think it can be hard to really understand that in the long term. And when someone says, say an investment advisor or something like that, says, oh, the historical long-term return of the S&P 500 is 10%. Are they talking about that compound growth rate or are they talking about the average annualized return? So I would guess pretty confidently that they are talking about the long-term... They're talking about a little bit of both. Uh, they're talking about the long-term compound annual growth rate. So if you stuck money in long enough, but they're they're looking at the average of time period. So let's take a look at that. So if you look back the last 100 years in the stock market and you take 20-year periods, so you start in, say, 1920 to 1930, right? So you take that time period and then you do 1921 to 1931, years. et cetera. You do rolling 10-year time yeah, periods, yeah. Mm -hmm. right? Uh, you go back 100 years and you look at that. The rough, the average, so you take all of those 10-year time periods and you take the percentage that each one of those gained and you average out what was the average of those. The average was above 10%. It was like 10.8% mm -hmm. roughly. So that is the average, but that's the average of different periods. So again, that's not the actual what you would have realized, right? The median returns in those, so now we're going to get into another math term, difference between average and median or... Um, mean and median. So the median is you take that whole sample set of the last 100 years of 20-year periods, and the median return was 11.2, we'll say. Okay, The, the middle, the exact the, middle. The exact middle. So the yeah. distribution of all those returns, you take the middle of it, 11.2. However, the minimum, the lowest uh, return over a 20-year period was about 3.1 percent and the highest return was 17.8 so this kind of illustrates a little bit of joe's question yes uh somebody will say well if you just invest in the market uh, over the long run over most 20 year periods you're going to get about a 10-ish percent return this is true but the variability of that returns is pretty considerable because in some 20-year historical periods we've seen as low as three-ish percent and that's that is annualized sorry three mm percent -hmm. annualized return over those periods and in other periods we've seen really great markets where you've actually uh, annualized 17% over those. But even looking at smaller time periods, I mean, the five-year, if you do the same exercise, you go back and you look at five-year periods, uh, the average for those is about 10%. Mm -hmm. um, five-year periods average about 10%. 
the median about 11.73%. However, what you see is the volatility increases within those five years period. And now, instead of that minimum return being, what would we say, three point something percent, yep. it's now the minimum return. So the worst return in those time periods was about negative 12, almost negative 13%. And the maximum was 28%. So you can really see how the averages don't necessarily represent the actual range of potential outcomes. Right. But we're stock guys. We're, yeah. We are obviously in the markets. Over the long-term time period, if you took, you know, from the time you started investing mm-hmm. s- till the time you retired, maybe it's 30 years or something like that, historically, that has been a good move. Or a good investment. Yes. Okay. Yes. Over the long haul, um, stocks tend to go up. And that a lot of that is because uh, U.S. GDP goes up. Yep. Exactly. Over the long haul. There's more demand, more population. We never know what will happen in the future, right? Maybe GDP eventually goes down. You go into like a deflationary cycle for decades at a time. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, but over the like everything we have historically is because inflation is something that our government and central bank tries to perpetuate at a healthy level, hopefully, Mm -hmm. Um, that then creates consistently increasing prices, which creates consistently increasing profitability in something like a publicly traded stock. So let's break that down from a publicly traded stock, because you and I were kind of talking about this before Mm -hmm. we started this this podcast. If we just narrowed it down to a publicly traded stock, and we're thinking about that, why do, over time, for the same company, people pay more money, and let's just say a single stock represents the whole economy. Sure. Why am I paying, and obviously it's variable, why am I paying 10% more on average each year for that company? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this applies to any investment that you purchase. So we'll actually compare it to the bank account that Joe's talking about versus a stock as well. Uh, but first, let's talk about it. There's three areas uh, that you'll make money on any investment. It could be rental real estate. It could be your savings account. It could be a stock in the stock market, et cetera. Uh, even technically cryptocurrency could lie in here. So the first one is we'll call it uh, income, right? Okay. So that could come in the form of dividends. It could come in the form of earnings on a stock. Uh, so th- the only difference between dividends and earnings is that uh, dividends are paid out to shareholders mm-hmm. and a company's earnings are a portion of them are usually kept in or in the case of, say, a Google or a Facebook, things like that. All of them are kept in and then reinvested in the company. But you have the earnings um, that a company makes. You have the growth in earnings that a, uh, an investment experiences. And then you have uh, the change in valuation. Okay. So those are the three... Com- ch- a change in valuation is kind of a fancy term for what people will pay for it. What people will pay for it. Yeah, the, the price people will pay for each dollar of uh, earnings or income or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, is effectively what it is. So really when it comes down to any particular investment, your return will be driven by those things. So if you're talking about a savings account, it's really easy to calculate the the return on the savings account. You get yield, which is your income, right? The change in that yield or the earnings growth is zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bank may change it, but you don't have any assumed earnings growth right. in that. And then the price that somebody is willing to pay you uh, for those earnings, it actually never changes. You just pull your cash out. So your earnings on that is whatever your starting yield is. Yep. When you go into a stock, you have a dividend yield or earnings. 
you have the amount that those uh, earnings or dividend yield is growing over time. Plus, you have the change that somebody is willing to pay for each dollar of earnings that company does. So if they're willing to pay more in the future, the stock will go up. If they're willing to pay less, the stock will go down. If their earnings decline, the stock may go down. Mm -hmm. If their earnings grow consistently, the stock may go up, all other things being equal. If they increase their earnings, dividend yields, et cetera, over time, that will go up as well. That's related to price, et cetera. So that's sort yeah, of that it makes sense. It? And then if we if we'll we do that really that's, quickly. That's kind of your and obviously we are diving into some stuff today. We are going into yeah, some we're way beyond math. compound annual growth rate and, and average. Some returns. people may just be completely lost out there. But mm-hmm. if we think of the whole economy, yep. the reason that that's increasing at maybe a ten percent rate each mm-hmm. year is because earnings are increasing overall over the whole economy. Sure. Efficiencies, inflation, whatever, earnings increase. Earnings increase. We're also thinking that there's going to be growth in the future. It's kind of the the long-term bet on America. Mm -hmm. Earnings growth. Right, exactly. And then finally, your third tier is what people will pay. Now, that has fluctuated over time, obviously, Mm -hmm. significantly, but... I believe over time it has historically gone up. Yeah. And the same thing relates then to, say, rental real or uh, if you buy a rental property, right? So you purchase a rental property for $100,000. Your return will either be the rent that you have on that, then the growth in the rent that you can charge, and or what somebody will pay you for the property in the future based upon either what they can earn off of it or what it earns them and the place to live. Absolutely. All of your investments come down to those three things. Mic drop. Fire. 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 That was very Hardly good, a mic drop moment, but <laughs> yeah. That was a lot technical, so mm-hmm. I don't know where we go from there. I think just kind of throwing out some qualitative things. If we have talked about this many times, there's really three areas that you can invest in to grow wealth over time. We talk about, you know, live on less than you make, invest the rest. There's really three places that you can invest money over time that have historically made good investment sense. It's small businesses or business, Mm -hmm. um, investing in the stock market or in real estate. Just this example that Joe's talking about, we're talking specifically about the stock market. And over the long term, over a hundred year time period, we see 10% return on average. Now we kind of discussed the averages and different things like that. But I think what you should assume in there and we're going through a difficult time in the markets right now is that even though there are difficult times, history has told us and betting on America has told us that even in difficult times there will we will come out of that and there will be historically um, better returns over time. Yeah. And uh, returns follow risk or Risk follows return. Kind of the same thing. Right. If you stick it in a bank, you're going to get pretty guaranteed return, uh, pretty guaranteed risk. Uh, you are going to take risk as you go out the reward sort of curve. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. But I think we covered, I think we answered your question, Joe, about average return versus actual realized return. We went down some rabbit holes. I hope you're happy. Joe, be the all right, we've already said it once, but the secret to wealth is very, very simple. Live on less than you make, invest the rest. In one of those three areas, we recommend the stock market and do so for a very long time. Make it a great.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. If you want content delivered to you regularly, be sure to follow us on Instagram at DIY.money. And if you want your question aired on the show, be sure to send that to us and you'll get $25 Amazon gift card. This show is for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not intended as personal financial advice. Before making any financial decision, please do your homework and consult a financial advisor as needed.